And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Sky of Off podcast. And have someone with me today that was one of the first people that I spoke with. And I really enjoyed the conversation I had with her. And partly because of, it was many things. It was who she is, her story, and then also it was by far, so far, one of the best settings I've done a podcast in her massage therapy studio. Just the whole ambience of it all was perfect. So I'd like to welcome back once again, Jackie Vetter. Jackie, welcome. Hello. Good morning, Roderick. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> first, we were in the same room, but now this time, through technology and me upgrading my board, you are in where talking to me today? I am in Fort Collins, Colorado. And uh, where's Fort Collins? I know where Fort Collins is, but for those folks who aren't up on their Colorado geography, where's Fort Collins located? Yeah. So Fort Collins is about an hour north of Denver. Um, I'm also about an hour or less from Wyoming. So we're kind of an island up here. Um, Just... This is about a population of 200,000 or so, um, some small surrounding towns. But, yeah, it is north of Denver. And it's it's a college town, correct? Yes. So Colorado State University is here, which is where I am attending. And um, the heart of the town is the campus. And it is very much so just... I don't know. It's really alive. Uh, summer is, um, you know, sometimes people come home, but people stay here a lot too. So it is definitely a college town. And it, so you moved there from, or just, okay, we'll just kind of jump in your story as for folks who may not have heard the first uh, episode and shame on you if you haven't, but kind of, <laughs> let's kind of see, cause it's, what was it two years? I was trying to think of how long it's been. Since that, well, first, so, that first chat we had. I think that it was actually recorded in the in 2019, published, was it 2021, it looked like, possibly. Because I was in the massage space uh, in kind of the downtown Cedar Rapids area, and that's where we recorded it at. So uh, to say that... A lot has gone on with you would be an understatement and your journey <laughs> has continued, which I think is just fantastic. And I still say you're one of the best people to follow on social media just because of the things that you're doing and kind of what you share. So let's kind of start people from that last podcast and kind of what's mm-hmm. happened in that time and how uh, your life has grown, evolved, and really allowed you to do some of the things that you, you were your goals and set out to do. For sure. Uh, I think it's fair to say also that since 2019 or so, a lot of, I mean, globally, there have been an unbelievable amount of changes. Um, quickly, you know. Um, so, yeah, when we first started, I was in the breathing room yoga studio uh, with my massage therapy space, and I was going through yoga teacher training. Um, yeah, so then 2020 happened, um, you know, 
just that stuff we've all been dealing with the last couple of years. Um, I had already been incorporating ecotherapy into my services. Uh, There are places that have um, ecotherapy certification. And ecotherapy is anything that incorporates kind of like greenery into your life. So it could be hiking. It could be forest bathing. It could be planting a garden or having plants inside your house, just indoor plants or incorporating green foods into your life. So there's many different facets to ecotherapy. And I personally had been on a journey to become more connected to nature. It makes me feel better. It um, neurologically and with the body system, it goes through changes when you are in nature. Your body recognizes it's in some of the most primal places that we have. And the physiology in your body has a change when it's exposed to these natural elements. And I felt, especially with um, my last day drinking alcohol, September 18th, 2018, um, being in nature really helped my nervous system and really helped me stay grounded. You know, just the simple anxieties of life, like breathing better, um, better focus, better energy, just authentic energy, not just from sitting on the couch and relaxing, but which we touched on a little bit the last time, but when you're in nature, you are relaxing, but it is actually giving you energy. Um, you know, I don't necessarily feel energized after I sit down and watch Netflix, um, which I do. I mean, I do do that, but um, there's a different feeling of being in nature. So when the pandemic When the shutdown happened in March, I saw my friends working from home and I am a massage therapist and I was teaching one-on-one yoga, which I could not do. So I thought, oh my goodness, I need to diversify my income, make it something that is, you know, not just hands-on. So Uh, Right after pandemic, two weeks after, I enrolled at Kirkwood, uh, Kirkwood Community College in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and started in Parks and Natural Resources. I kind of thought, well, I think I want to work in a park. You know, I love being in parks. This sounds great. This is perfect. And I was kind of able to use that pandemic time to to, you know, go back into education and start another academic uh, career. And that was, that I started summer 2020. And then as you know, August 2020 in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and a lot of Iowa, we had the derecho, mm-hmm. which the derecho, I mean, what I personally, I would, I went on Facebook and I saw Steve Shriver posted, I think it was a screenshot of like the weather uh, radar and he's like, get to shelter. And I'm thinking, okay, so like you, you know, people that post on social media, he's definitely someone I pay attention to. I, 
I didn't take it lightly. I thought like, oh my goodness. <laughs> and then, but then at the same time, you kind of think, well, this can't be real. Like it, there's no tornado sirens. I, I really don't understand. So yeah, I uh, tried to get back home um, and the wind started. It was like a 15 minute warning for me. That's about when I heard about it and got home and then what I don't know where you were when it happened but it was like so fast um they said what is it 140 mile an hour winds straight winds yeah I was in uh, Lewiston Maine so I was, oh you were oh my gosh you I weren't had, here I had just Are flown they- out my son was going to a hockey tryout so we were flying out to Maine and we wow. we went we flew down to, I forget where we flew out of. We we left that morning, and oh so we God. got on a plane, and then when we arrived and turned our phones back on, we just started getting all these weather messages. And oh, my God! Like, what was going on? So it wasn't really, I think, to that night that uh, okay. Jan, Jan called and said, this is what went on, and I was like, wow, <laughs> we, we, we just missed it. Yes, and it was intense. Um I I was in my small SUV and I usually park in the driveway and I parked on the street and I turn and look and a tree fell into the driveway and I'm thinking that's where I was going to park. Well, then I'm in my car. I decide to scoot up a little bit in my parking. A tree fell behind me. So I ha- I'm in a I was in the neighborhood kind of near. 29th Ave and 1st Avenue in Cedar Rapids, but I'm a little more towards um, Knoll Ridge Park. So I was in that little pocket area. I guess that's where we got a lot of, there was a lot of the damage. And I got out of my car and ran inside, which I don't know if that was wise. And the neighbor's roof had a tree just pull vault into the roof. And then the tree that I ran past fell behind me as I was running. I get inside. It was very intense, um, terrifying, but I didn't know what I was seeing until I, um, you know, until after the fact when we heard like, Oh no, this is an inland hurricane. Um, but I, I thought I saw smoke out of my back door and I just shook my head like, no way this can't be happening because I, have some weird natural first responder in me. And when I see an emergency, I act. Um, So I throw on my outdoor hiking, like my wet winter hiking gear. That's very waterproof, weatherproof and my big boots. And I'm like, I'm going to have to go do some stuff. Open the door. I hear screaming. So I'm bolting through these trees, like a jungle gym and a couple houses down. The neighbor's house was on in flames. And it's a grandma with her grandkids and she's crying and screaming. So I grab this six year old and there's black smoke everywhere. And I'm telling her like, breathe into my hoodie. Don't take your face out. Don't breathe the air. And I start bolting for the nearby school. And so the school had opened up and was taking like, we didn't know what was going on. And so people were going to the school for shelter and, um, I drop off the kid. I run back to get the grandma and I ask her, I'm like, do you have any medical conditions? And she's like, COPD. I'm like, Oh my goodness. So like we need to move fast, but you can't move very fast. Right. Yeah. 
it was intense. Um, got her over to the school because the you know the granddaughter was like, "Where's my grandma? Where's my mom? Where's my brothers?" It turns out the younger or the brother had one of the newer like infants, and he actually saw the storm coming and knew enough to go to a neighbor's house with other um, adults. And they took shelter a couple houses down. Um, It was unbelievably intense. You know, like when the trees fell in my neighborhood, they were so old and tall that when they came out, you know, if you saw any of the footage or photos afterwards, you know, the roots coming up, you could practically park a car in that hole. Yeah, that's what was so unbelievable to me was these trees and then just not snapping, but just coming up from the roots. Right. Well, and if you think about it, there's a lot happening under the surface. You know, those roots are so deep that and very strong. So when the tree goes down, it pulls it. It's it's very strong down into the ground, into the soil. But in my neighborhood, the trees coming down and the roots coming up pulled up our water mains. And so we had like water pouring into our streets and that house was on fire and my, my street was, you know, I guess the only way to explain it is intense. Um, that was a Monday and I was supposed to be leaving for like a camping backpacking trip with a friend on Tuesday. So there were, I don't even know how many trees between me and the highway. So I, my trip got delayed. Um, the crazy thing was sending text messages would be like sending a text on like Tuesday at 9 a.m. And I would like date it and say like sending this Tuesday 9 a.m. And then my friends or family would respond and be like received Tuesday 5 p.m. responding. Um, and then I would get it like a few hours later. Like there was this delay. Um, we didn't have any electricity for 12 days, I think it was. And I didn't have internet for like 30 days. And I was supposed to be in school online. So luckily, I think there was like a break or they let the internet was spotty. Oh, I was using my phone maybe for a hotspot. But either way, it was it was unbelievable. Um, I finally got out of town and to Colorado and I was able to use internet to do some fundraising so I called it like saws for CR and people were donating money and on my way back I was picking up gas-powered saws with um fuel you know like little five gallon gasoline buckets and like then I was dropping those off at different places uh for people that maybe couldn't afford a saw or we're using it to volunteer and help other people. Um, but while I was in Colorado, I don't know if my phone, you know, how these phones work these days, uh, heard me just talking about, man, I'm always here. You know, I keep coming back to Colorado to hike and to do this, to do that. I want to protect the environment. Yes. I love being in parks, but with my personality and how I function in the world, Am I better utilized moving to a college where I can get a degree to protect the environment, to stop or reverse these damages that are happening to the climate and the environment because of the rise in 
uh, temperature of the earth and, um, you know, how can I be better utilized to be of service um, in a larger place versus one park at a time? You know, so that's some things I don't even know how it got to the point where I was I started researching the different colleges. CSU has an incredible environmental program, um, just all of all topics. Um, so my me, I, I, I think two weeks after shutdown, I applied to Kirkwood. Two weeks after derecho, I applied to transfer to CSU, and my major is environmental sociology. My minors are environmental politics, environmental affairs. And then the second is global environmental sustainability. And with those, I'm not 100% sure what my exact career will be, but it will always be aligned and in a mode of um, protecting the environment and protecting our natural resources. Um, The hard and unfortunate thing is it, not only affects us, which I love humanity and I would want the best for us, but it also means the fish, the deer, the wolves, the bears, they don't have water or food either. They don't have um, forests because they're burning down. They don't have um, different resources that they need and biodiversity to survive. Uh, And then in turn, it does affect us. Um, so I took another pandemic pivot and moved to Colorado January 1st, uh, 2021. And so now I'm in my, I had spring semester, fall, but yeah, so now I'm just in my third semester at CSU, my fifth semester, uh, in general back in school. So it's, yeah. There has been some stuff that has happened since the last time we talked. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So I, I want to go back and ask the question because, you know, there's so many things that happen in our lives. And when you look back on them, you kind of see the parallel and, and kind of think, yeah. would it have happened? So would this move have happened without the derecho? Oh, man. Um. Yeah, possibly because I was I, I I was visiting Colorado more and more, um, or or I should say I, I've been going other places to hike and camp. Uh, it just so happened I love Colorado. There's snowboarding here. Um, possibly I don't know if it would have happened if it wasn't for pandemic. So that was really one of those like fire under my butt things where it was just like, yeah, if, if this, if this is going to go like this, then I am going to do and cross off everything I want to do. You know, I guess maybe it was like, if you knew you were going to die in a year, like, would you, you know, like, I don't know. It just, I didn't feel scared, scared. But I also wanted to respect the fact that I did not know what was going on. I did not have the answers. And I just felt um, that I wanted to harness anything that I could possibly do. Was it hard hard to leave Cedar Rapids? 
That's interesting. Um, emotionally with the amazing, kind, beautiful people that I am gifted to know there. Yes. Um, the fact that a lot of them are maybe married with kids. So their time is, um, rightly so spent with their families, their immediate families, their children need them, their partners need them, their own careers, um, their own activities they like to do. Uh, while I, I'm not short on socializing, my interests to explore other literal geographical territory like mountains, lakes, rivers, um, those are my interests, and I didn't really have access to a lot of those. Uh, I should say the mountains. Um, my friend, uh, I have a friend that is Erin Hansen. She is really great at exploring Iowa and exploring the Midwest through hiking. She's got an awesome social media movement called Hiking in Hammocks that's in on Facebook for like Cedar. She's in Cedar Rapids. Um, she does an excellent job of exploring everything all over the place there. And I felt like I had done that for a while and I was just ready for different terrain. So literal, physical, different terrain. Um, and the excitement of that and exploring and, and all of the doors that would open by going to school and being here. I don't know. It kind of reminds me of what we talked about in the last one where it just really changes from like you have to get up and go to work and do this. And then to like I there are so many doors open around me here now that I have to be very deliberate about and efficient with which ones I'm going to pursue. So, yes, the you know, comfort and the amazing people that I love. It was, it was very hard to leave. Um, but, you know, we stay in contact. I feel like I've been hopefully working on this. The big thing I'm saying this year is, you know, focusing on connections, not attachment. And my connections to those people are so beautiful and strong that we don't, have to be in the same room all the time for us to feel it. And I feel just as connected to those amazing people and my family back home now as I did when I lived there. So it's almost like because you don't get to see each other, you really foster and focus on like the richness of knowing a person versus like, hey, we're hanging out at the same place. And we're just here. You're not taking not, it for granted. Exactly. Not taking it for granted. And also making it count and making it intentional. And like, I'd like to talk to you at this time of this day. Are you available? You know, like how, you know, Hey, can we FaceTime? And like, how are you doing? It's, it's very, it's very, um, it still feels great. So I miss the little shops and I miss the places like Bohemia um, and, you know, all my favorites. And I loved Sushi House and like all these, <laughs> like just, I don't know, Cedar, you know, Cedar Rapids and the Iowa City area had so many really neat, 
conferences and um, events that I did every year. And, you know, starting new and finding those here is, I mean, it's exploring. It's fun. But, you know, it is nice to, it was nice back in Cedar Rapids to see people you know just like everywhere. So, (laughs) can you explain to people the feeling the first time you stand on a mountain that's about, I'd say, 12, 14,000 feet in the air? Oh, gosh. Um, well, so last year, because I do silly stuff at the gym, I dislocated my left patella. Um, so I have not done a 14er yet, which is, that's kind of like a thing. There's uh, um, 14ers, it's the elevation of a mountain. And so that's the thing people like to check off. Like, have you done a new 14ers? Um, and so I have not done one of those yet. However, I have snowboarded on some pretty incredible, um, mountains. And so you ride the lift up and I am afraid of heights (laughs) and it's going up and it's going up. And I'm like, why is this, why are we still going up? What is happening? Um, and, uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's breathtaking. It's um, some of the hiking that you do, you want to do earlier in the morning because something like a 14er, there's storms in the afternoon. And when they say there's storms, like they're not kidding. There's lightning, there's, it's dangerous. And so you want to go up in the morning, which works well for me because I'm a morning person. But um, the sunrise, when you get, we know when you do a really amazing hike and like there's some really neat places in Boulder, Breckenridge is amazing. Um, it's a higher elevation. Um, I don't know. It just kind of blows your mind. Yeah. I re- uh, when I first moved to Salt Lake City back in 1994, obviously. And I will say you were saying if you're a single person and you want to socialize, go to a mountain ski town because it just seems like there's that electricity and that vibe that just everyone's there, you know, so I would suggest that. But I remember they were, you know, people were like, well, you need to ski or else you're not going to make friends. You're going to be alone. So I started skiing, and then luckily my skis got broken on a trip one time, so I had to start snowboarding, and I haven't been on skis since. But the first oh. time they took me, I remember we went to Snowbird uh, in Salt Lake City, and they were like, okay, we're going on the tram, and I was like, you're crazy. And so we got on the tram, and then they opened that door, and the view was, I'd never seen anything like that before. And people always say, if you could go back and live one place in the U.S. where would it be? And I'd say Salt Lake City because of that. The mountains just, it's something about when you get up in the mountains, it completely changes you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it and, and visually, it's gorgeous. But it just, you know, there's an incredible book, um, Your Brain on Nature. And it just talks about, um just what changes in your body and your brain and your neurology when you are exposing yourself to these beautiful natural elements. And 
yeah, it's it's so stunning. I I don't know. I just I don't know. Maybe there just aren't words. Maybe I can't describe it. I'm not the one. So it, it, it is. It's beautiful, and, it, and you're like pictures don't do it justice. Words don't do it justice. It's just something that you have to go out and experience. So let's talk yeah. about let let's go a little deeper into the ecotherapy and. Yeah. It seems like the pandemic maybe kind of changed people's thoughts on their health, how they look at things. And so kind of explain a little bit about ecotherapy and how you've incorporated it into your life. And then maybe what are baby steps that someone who says, you know, I don't necessarily want to move out to Colorado. How do I involve ecotherapy in my life and, and kind of what it's done for you, what you've seen it do for other people. Yeah. So I have gleaned my information and my knowledge from my mentors that are in the, in that certified in that field in Cedar Rapids. I know Amelia Sauter. She works at Prairie Woods Franciscan Spirituality Center. She is um, ecotherapy certified and that is uh, an incredible program available for people as well. Um, I had signed up for mine and then I didn't, it got canceled because of pandemic. Um, and so I was doing what I was learning from my mentors and from all of the recommended readings from these, these certifications. And it. um it is an intrinsic feeling of nature that you are connected to it and it's to be respected and protected and we need to advocate for its best, you know, how she can be treated with her rights. There's something called the rights of nature um, and it's a big there's a big movement here in Cedar Rapids as well, or sorry, in Fort Collins. Um, I am a part of a couple organizations that participate in it. So my niche is WASH, the acronym W-A-S-H, Water, Sanitation, and Hygiene. So that is kind of the niche I have really felt most connected to. And it's one where I want to bring... Um, Clean water and sanitation and hygiene to everyone. Um, waterborne illnesses are the number one killer of people globally, uh, which is unfortunate because clean water should be a right. So there's two things. There's the rights to people to have water and then the right of nature as its own entity and its own self. Uh, we don't often think, you know, like this is exaggerated. But, like, if you punch water, water can't take you, you know, like, call the police. Um, however, natural resources should have rights. And Water Keepers Alliance is one of them. Um, Water.org is someone I, I am talking to. They help provide um, um, water credits, which are microloans. They have partners that put up the financing for it. And the microloans go to people in places like Bangladesh, India, where 300,000 children under five, five and under, 
die from water-related illnesses, uh, lack of hygiene, lack of sanitation. And that is a huge number. Um, and what they do is help people get a tap line in their home or a to and a toilet. Uh, and just by doing that, it helps increase their their literal mortality. And the other thing that happens in these cultures is the women are the water collectors and so are the daughters, which means the mothers cannot have jobs, which makes them reliant uh, 100%. Um, and it also means the daughters are taken out of school to collect water. So they are, are um, their education is taken from them. And through, you know, with pandemic, with health, with wellness, with the ecotherapy, it all rolls into the fact that, number one, people deserve access to water and sanitation and hygiene. And two, um, nature has rights as well. And so, like, when I think about, like, the changes that people are making to their health and wellness um, with the pandemic happening is just the fact that um, there's there, you know, we talked about it last time. There's the aesthetic version of health and wellness where it's like, I'm going on vacation in four weeks and I need to wear a bikini, you know, um, that is, albeit like I probably do the same thing, but that's like a very privileged way to interact with nature and health and wellness. It's a very, um, like we don't even understand what we what we are receiving and other people are not. And for me, it just moved into a more primal, a more like I I don't know if it's my time in nature has and the ecotherapy has brought me into a different place where you start thinking beyond yourself, I think. You start thinking past, like, where's a trail I can run so I can work out and then look real great? You know, like, I do that, too. <laughs> I like looking nice. Um, but there's a difference that comes when you're integrated with nature because you're part of it. And the ecotherapy really does. Uh, it did that for me. Um, you know, when you're camping, it's called Leave No Trace. You know, you pack in your stuff, you pack it out. Um, there's uh, REI has great resources and different resources online to read about, like, what does it mean to leave no trace when you are camping and then you're leaving and going home? Um, the soap you use to wash your dishes, don't just throw that out in the woods. Like, that's hazardous to these plants here. It's not a, you know, sod, sodded out backyard in a town this is you're in the mountains you know um it's it's a totally different ball game of the fact that like you are a guest in the forest and you're you need to treat it as such like you leave it better than when you came and um i feel like in the past i had camped and i've done like glorified tailgating <laughs> Like, you get to the campsite, you set up your table, you grill your hot dogs, and you drink your beers, 
And again, I love that. And some people, that's what they're accessible to and that's what they're doing. So go for it. There's a completely different ball game when you are packing a backpack and going, parking your car and you don't see it for three days because you've gone into the woods and you've hiked hours and you camped and you slowly come back out and you just do not disturb what's in there. Um, with the ecotherapy and forest bathing, I think it begins to integrate people to nature above and beyond tr traditional camping. Um, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, I don't know. It's very peaceful. So as you're, as you're doing all this and, and like you said, it's just taking care of what's out there. There's a show on Netflix um, called meat eater with the hunter, Stephen Ranella. And he, and he talks about how conservation is probably something that he promotes more than hunting. He says, because, you know, and in his shows all the time, he talks about just being one with nature and being a part yeah. of nature and really going from the mentality of almost an ownership to being a servant to nature. Oh. And when you watch that show, you, I get so wrapped up in that and listening to that and just understanding that, you know, it's a pleasure. It's a privilege. Like when he talks about, you know, being up in Alaska and realizing that he goes, there's probably someone that hasn't walked here in years, you know, and just kind of seeing all that and how becoming that sort of servant to nature just really changes your perspective on everything. Absolutely. A hundred percent. When I visited Alaska in 2018, I felt like in Iowa, my hiking, I was like, park my car at Palisades, uh, Palisades Kepler State Park, which is out there by Mount Vernon, Iowa, kind of near Cedar Rapids, park my car, 45 minute hike to the end of the trail, back out. I think if I remember correctly, I could actually do the whole hike in 45 minutes. Um, and I usually would wear a 20 pound plate in my go ruck backpack, um, to increase my cardiovascular because there's not a lot of incline. So when I added weight to my backpack, it still worked my heart. Um, anyway, um, there's a difference in that. And when I was in Alaska, everything, it was like the mountains were huge I was near the Kenai Peninsula, which the bodies of water were huge. The belugas were migrating. It's just so vast, so huge. There's bears. And I'm thinking, I am the smallest creature here. I am prey. Like this, I'm tiny, you know. And in Cedar Rapids um, or even Fort Collins, it's easy to feel like you are the you know, for people can feel as if we are the top of the food chain and we're really not. Um, and that humbling and just literally everything we do comes from these resources is just, it's unbelievable. Um, you, you just, your level of respect goes up greatly. And 
Um, we can't do anything without water. We can't like our food, you know, like this 12 inches or this, this depth, like the soil in our ground that provides the nutrients we eat is struggling and we cannot survive without it. Um, we, there are pragmatic solutions. There are options. Technology is incredible. The country of Israel is in a desert and they have the best water resources in the world. They create, they have the ability to create all of their water, all of their own water, and they're in a desert. They choose to make 80% of it and they only pull 20, 20 to 10% from the ground. Um, so they are, they've had decades putting in infrastructure and now they're set. So there could be a time where other countries will need those, you know, like that'll become invaluable. Um, and you just begin to respect and honor and um, these things are finite. So being in nature, you just really see, like, if I hiked out and I brought water for a couple of days, if I need to filter water that I'm finding as I'm traveling or hiking, you have to find sources and then you have a little gravity um, um, filter system. And it's just like, if I don't have this access to this water or I don't have food, you just, you can't live. <laughs> and uh, I think that we are... Uh, there is wonderful convenience of being able to get things delivered to our home. Practically these invisible little, you know, that comes out of nowhere and we have it. And I think the fact that that um, exists maybe makes us not as aware that these resources can be depleted and these scarce resources uh, are exactly that they're scarce. Um, so yeah, I, there's a really good show on Netflix that I watched with my roommate, my friend Amanda called Alone. And it's these people that go to Alaska and need, have to survive for a hundred days to win a million dollars. Um, and they don't have anything. I think they got to take 10 things actually, but oh my gosh, you know, like trying to fish, trying to hunt, you know, and if you catch Certain animals, they're not very fatty, but we need fat to live and survive. So it's really neat to see that. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. So with the, you know, changes that you've made in, you know, the earthing and things like that, how does, how does somebody get started in that? How does someone say, okay, you know, that's something I think that would benefit me. So how do you incorporate that into your life sort of like in baby steps to maybe get the momentum going? Yeah. So we talked about balance last time and we talked about reflection um, and different perspectives. I think it's really easy to see a concept or something we want to incorporate into our life and become immediately overwhelmed. So you get analysis paralysis and then you don't even start before you don't even start. And 
balance and incorporating new things, just know ahead of time, it's going to take six months longer than you thought. Like changes will slowly evolve. Um, typically things that are quick are not sustainable and, um, it can be exhausting. You know, it's like, you can't learn everything overnight and just knowing that you have that, that is okay, that it moves slow, that that's fine. Um, I feel, um, I, I like to move fast and it can be uncomfortable when I need to move slow. But what I'm really realizing is the fact that um, patience does not have to be synonymous with being passive. And I get uncomfortable when I feel like I'm not making progress fast enough or I feel like I'm not making progress at all. I have to just keep reminding myself that these things are trickling in. Seeds are being planted. I'm learning as I go slowly and I'm retaining things better and I'm not making as many mistakes with like, you know, people will make mistakes when they move into certain kinds of uh, backpacking too soon without enough knowledge. And then, you know, there could be an injury or there could be something and it's good to have information when you move into the higher stakes categories as in like multiple days out in the woods. So Going in with just information about getting curious about it is super helpful. Um, just getting books either from the library, um, Kindle, YouTube. YouTube is great. Um, I love Instagram when you use hashtags to find other people doing similar things you're doing. And you can have conversations. There's spaces like Reddit. There's spaces like um, Facebook groups. If people are ever traveling and they want to hike, um, the app called All Trails is incredible. Um, it has different trails you can hike. It shows the different levels of um, is it easy, intermediate, hard. It talks to, it says like, can you bring dogs? Is it mixed usage? So here, a lot of the trails that I'll find in Fort Collins are gosh, I could have hiking, mountain bikers, or horses on some of these trails here. So if you're walking with your dog that's afraid of a horse, you probably want to avoid trails that may have horses. So when you travel, look up the Facebook groups, look up the all trails. You know, the, the thing that people find overwhelming is that they want to do something and they don't have a plan. They don't have an idea or a concept. And so then they never move to action. In our lives, there are five modes of behavior modifications if you want to incorporate something in your life. The first one is a concept. What is hiking? I don't know. This is interesting. Second one is finding information about hiking. Okay, well, what supplies do I need? Should I look at the weather? Is it going to rain? Is it going to sprinkle? Um, the third step is making a plan. So you're going to make the plan. I'm going to go Tuesday morning, you know, 7 a.m. I'm going to go by myself. I'm going to have a friend. Do I need a flashlight? You know, and the fourth step is doing it. You're going to act. You're going to put the plan into place and you're going to say, okay, every Tuesday morning, I'm going to walk around my neighborhood. It could start out. I remember I started out 
walking my dog around my neighborhood and I was like super proud of myself and I was just in town Cedar Rapids I'm like look at I'm walking my dog this isn't you know and then it started to be going to Morgan Creek going to Palisades going to you know other places outside of the immediate area um the fifth step is maintenance and you, what can happen is you get into maintenance and you're doing it as something happens. You change jobs, you move, relationship ends, someone passes away, something happens, and you could go right back into, all right, I fell off. I got to make a plan again. When am I going to do this? And you just keep going through it and you keep going through it, you keep going through it. And I think that it's reasonable to say that you keep going through the last three almost forever and ever. I don't know if I've ever had a solid time where I am just a hundred percent on all the time. It just is not going to happen. And I don't think we should hold ourselves to that standard. I don't think that's healthy. Um, it is necessary to also have recovery and downtime where you give your body a break Maybe you have family in town. Maybe you have something. And if that's what you want to focus on at the time, then you do. And then you get back to it. Um, I think with starting out, you know, having a, having your body in order. Are you stretching before? Are you stretching after? You know, what fuel do you have? Proper water, proper nutrition, chiropractic care, yoga, you know, just researching something. Um and it doesn't have to be obsessive research to to memorize, but expose yourself to the information and the knowledge in different modalities and ways. You know, watch a video, listen to a podcast. Just start making it a part of how you um, view yourself or introduce yourself or, like, talk to people like, I'm interested in hiking. You know, like, is this a part of your life now? Um, so I, yeah, I think, I think, um, and you don't have to do all these things. You don't have to have the perfect gear. Your gear doesn't have to be new. It doesn't have to look a certain way. It's just a simple fact that you're getting out there. Yeah. And then, like you said, that's the case. Just really getting started is, you know, the big step and the most important step. So how do you see with your school and continuing that road, um, where do you see yourself moving forward in, kind of your your plans for the near future yeah oh yeah um so yeah water the water and sanitation is is just such a big passion of mine that i am pointing at um the ecotherapy being in nature i feel like that will be my own personal activities. I don't necessarily know if I will make that part of my career. That is a little more along the lines of tourism and um, and there are other people that have those uh, those as their specialties. For me, I think it will be in the form of activism, lobbying. Um, I won't ever be in litigation or politics i personally will not be a politician um however i am interested in being of service in those areas um 
it is it is coming down to legalities. Um, it's coming down to like the politics of hey, more of our national parkland has been given away for construction, for mining, for, for you know, for, um, you know, more of our tropical areas are being used for palm oil. You know, it's like, how can we make that happen? The reason I chose, or how can we make the protection happen? And the reason I chose um, environmental sociology is the people in the world uh, control this. Um, sociology, environmental sociology is uh, how do we impact the environment and how does the environment impact us? It's, um, and it's chicken or the egg, you know? And what happens is people can be very monetarily motivated to take a forest, to <clears throat> not have proper practices when they are doing drilling somewhere and now this river that feeds down <clears throat> to a town is has chemicals in it nitrates we got to remove all these nitrates des moines iowa has one of the biggest nitrate removal facilities in the world that is unbelievable it's a lot of it is due to the agriculture when the water goes into the mississippi it goes down to the gulf of mexico and there is a giant dead zone um everything you know the plants the fish it's huge and it's getting bigger um mexico is i don't know if they have or are moving to sue the united states because we are the one of the largest producers of co2 emissions that participate in global warming and the climate crisis which means our snowfall is reducing in colorado our rivers are producing less water they're smaller slower and they are more polluted that trickles all the way down it touches all these cities touches all these lakes and towns all the way down to mexico where they use that water for their agriculture and there is the where there's no more water for them for their agriculture it is i don't want to say there's no more water but it is not what it used to be um the snowfall there's no snowfall to melt to create um, and it is all connected and, you know, they're blaming us. And so for me, yes, I want Mexico to have water to water their plants, but also should we have agriculture that's growing in deserts? Like, are there better places to do this? They're obviously using what they have. So that's, that's fine. Um, but if we can't, water the alfalfa we can't feed the cows and we can't have any meats we can't have water for the people or the animals um they are saying that the future of food is looking to be potentially more plant-based because if we don't have water to provide the animals we can't eat the animals um and so i feel passionate about bringing people clean water sanitation I also feel very passionate about protecting the rights of nature. And there are countries and um, different cities and towns that have given nature rights. So if you do something against nature, you are held responsible. It sounds like, well, isn't that everywhere? Well, no, it's not. 
Um, when nature does not have a monetary value, it is very hard to hold people accountable when they do something to it. So if you have a tree in your yard and your neighbor hits it, there are ways to go about that. Because it's on your property, you can fight for it. Well, when it's in out in public lands, national forests and everything, um, air, how do you hold someone accountable for polluting air? Because does air have a monetary value? How do you know the dollar amount to hold them responsible for? So uh, it's very similar when we see problems in the ocean with um, pollution or like the plastic in the water. How do you hold someone responsible for this when you cannot monetarily say what is being affected? And there are ways to do this when you give nature rights. And that's something that I'm passionate about. And in conversation with different organizations for water, different organizations for the rights of nature, um, and so for me, I I feel like in the past in my life, I've maybe put too specific of a goal in mind. And then I wouldn't look at other things that come up because I'm zeroed in on this thing that I must accomplish. And I miss a lot of opportunities and a lot of places that maybe I should have gone. You know, obviously, I feel like I am where I am, should be now. But yeah, I'm keeping an open mind, but I have a few niche topics that I'm particularly passionate about. Um, there, there are some documentaries called "The Rights of Nature," and there's different um, different places that you can see it. I think it's Netflix has some of them, um, but. And, and YouTube does. YouTube does. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm going. I, I pretty much feel like I've come to a point where I'm like, do good, be good people. I like science. I love my spirituality. Um, but I'm definitely not a, the science end where I will be in a lab. I'm not going to be collecting the samples. I'm not going to be doing that. I, w I want to be in a place where I can protect, preserve, um, and I'm not really into the restoration ecology. That's still more science-based than I would prefer. So I'm a little bit more in the policy side and the civic engagement. So, and, yeah. And so, you know, there's one thing that comes up, oh, tree hugger, tree hugger, tree hugger. But how do we get people to kind of understand just at a basic level of, and break down kind of like that wall, that stigma of you can, you know, taking care of the earth and, you know, things like that isn't like mean you're this radical person or anything like that. And that there's just basic things you can do in your everyday life to kind of that help improve your life. And I think that's maybe what some people miss. Sure. Um, well, when you look at the geography and the careers or the businesses in a particular city, you can see why they believe the ways they believe, you know, or, or is the city, um, a lot of offices, 
where maybe people have taken a lot of business school, but not a lot of science. Like if you take one class on biology showing, you know, ecosystems, you're like, oh, (laughs) okay, this makes sense. You know, um, these are not debatable conversations. This isn't like, do I like chocolate ice cream or vanilla? This is ecosystems exist. Um, and it's like baking. I can cook, so I can throw chicken, rice, eggs in a in a skillet, and I can cook. I cannot bake. Baking is a science. Baking is precise. You know, if you're making a cake or muffins or whatever, if you don't have the right yeast, the right rising, you can't like making bread. It's particular, and our environment is particular. Fish need certain degrees of water. Trees don't like being burned down. Um, um, the atmosphere needs to be a particular temperature. You know, um, when there's gas in an atmosphere, it warms up. You know, it's warming up. Um, I shouldn't say it is because it depends on the gas. But I'm just saying these are scientifically founded. Um, It's like if you had a cup of water and your friend drank some, that friend drank some, that friend, there's less water in it for you. Our groundwater and our aquifers only have so much water. It absorbs when the rain falls, when we have mass amount of parking lots, when we have yards that are packed down and maybe don't have areas to absorb water. When we take the water, we do have to water the lawn. Um, And we've got green grass, but we don't have enough water here in Colorado to fight our fires sometimes. Um, It is just, I feel, can be viewed differently depending on where you live, depending on the attraction, you know, the the um, structures of the land near you. If it's never been a concern near you, it's never been a concern. So if you think about the fact that would we have been concerned about a hurricane in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, before August 10th, 2020? No. And was it possible? Yes. If someone said there's going to be a hurricane tomorrow, would we have laughed at them? Most likely. So you begin to believe things the more you experience them. And what I feel with sociology and just being connected to other human beings is that when someone says they had an experience and people are experiencing no water in some places of the world, we need to believe that because it is real. Not because we have not experienced it, but because someone else has. And there's a concept in sociology called otherism. It plays to the fact that unless we know a face and a name and a person that has experienced something, then an event can feel very foreign and not real and not as important. If you get a thing around Christmas time that says, oh, you know, the Smith's house burned down and they don't have Christmas presents for their kids, would you donate? You're like, oh, I know the Smiths. They're so nice. Blah, blah, blah. If you see a commercial or hear something on a podcast, TV, whatever, that says these kids in this other country don't have water or food, 
you're like, well, I don't know. You, you don't actually say, I, I don't know them. I don't care. But you don't feel it the same and you don't feel as inclined to move to action. That is the concept of otherism. That is where you just don't feel as attached. Um, and it's hard. It's And so other people that had hurricanes, did, did I care about them when they happened in the past in the world? Absolutely. Ever since I experienced one, I'm like, wow, okay, I get it. That was crazy. That was hard. Like, how can I help other people that have been through a hurricane? You know, you. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's funny you say that um, because I, I thought the same thing, you know, you're like, Oh, it's a hurricane here. It's a, you know, a typhoon across the world, halfway around the world and things like yeah. that. But once you kind of have that and you kind of experience that, and then you realize we were, st- you know, we were still pretty lucky because, even with all the bad things that had, you know, I wasn't, we weren't even one of the worst sections of town, you know, much less around the world. So I could look in town and say, wow, I can go six, seven blocks and someone's got it 10 times worse than I do. Much less what happens around the world. So I think you're right. It's interesting how that brings that perspective into your life. And so, I feel, so right now the place that I am talking to the most is in Bangladesh, India. And I would be interested in taking contract work there. The reason I feel that that is important is our time and dollar goes much further. If I, it's, it's the same thing I'm saying about like the Smiths at Christmas. If I'm giving, um, the infrastructure, okay. The infrastructure and the economy and what we have access to in a place like Cedar Rapids or Fort Collins, it's all there. You know, jobs, transportation. You could take a bus if you don't have a car. Take a bike. Um, there are ways to, I don't want to say easily, but there, there are, there's infrastructure to do so if you need to get back on your feet like with the um, hurricane. And we even saw like there weren't a lot of people helping. We were helping each other for like the first week. Uh, There was not a lot of government, um, not a lot stepping in. When you're looking at communities in other countries, I always had this weird conception where I'm like, well, why don't they get a job and like figure it out? And it's super naive super embarrassing to have those thoughts but um the if i donated fifty dollars to someone in cedar rapids and i donated it fifty dollars to someone in a developing country the fifty dollars their family could possibly live off of that for six months um that is unbelievable to me and i've always known it i've always understood it but at the same time i didn't it was like step it was like removed from me and now that you really start looking and talking to these people in these different places you're saying this really literally needs people to participate and the environment is the same way people will use the resources for their own piggy bank they will pad their pockets while they are removing water from communities, you know, and we see 
all of these different, you know, we have some of this water argument happening here in Colorado right now. They're wanting to take water from um, kind of different places past Castle Rock, uh, Colorado Springs area, and give it to Denver. And the people in these towns are saying, no way. Um, they're coming for their water. And these smaller towns are getting really upset. Um, so it's the same way. I think that when you can help overseas in developing countries, it just goes so much further. They don't have access. There's some of these places, they save up for like a year to get a bicycle. So it changes from a parent walking one to two hours to work to saving up for a year to have a bicycle to now have a 30 minute bike ride, you know, and that just means they're home for their family. They can help out. They, you know, like what if weather's bad, you know, there's the dollar goes so much further there and they just don't have the manpower. Um, the countries don't have the infrastructure. They're still putting that together. And so for me, being able to focus on things like policy and global sustainability means that how can we get this town online? Like, how do we get this town to have phones? How do we get this town to have internet? Like, how do we get them to have a toilet or a sink in their home? Like, this is, this will just greatly change Um. It literally will change their lives. It would potentially save their lives as well. So that's the direction that I would potentially be going and um, why I feel it is helpful to be focused on developing countries. And I had a question in mind, but then something that you said and what you wanted to do, speaking about Bangladesh, and I brought up another question. My first question to you is, we've seemed to have made so many advances in technology. We seem to have made so many improvements in what we can do, how we can do it, how fast we can do it. Does it seem, am I just crazy? Does it seem like though with all the advances we made in technology that somehow none of those advances have gone to help the ecosystem? Sure. Um, Yeah. And that's fair. I, I hear you there. It's very, it's kind of bizarre because it's like we wake up every day and we see things shared on social media or news or whatever. Like this new technology takes, uh, you know, like orange peels and makes them into like disco balls. And you're like, wow, you know, I don't know. And so there are things that are being made for the environment and for Uh, biodiversity and this and that. Um, I think sometimes what happens is the fact that there's so much sometimes that it's it's still a lot of overwhelm. But the fact that um, this is why I focus on the civic engagement, participating with legislation, and participating with who you're voting for and what they are wanting to accomplish and why. And with policy is because you can have the most incredible invention, but if you can't put it into action and you can't move it into either 
what is this? Is this company small? Do they need funding? Are they not scalable? Is their management rough? Is the owner not doing what they need to do? You know, it's kind of like the five steps of changing your behavior for a person. You can have all these ideas and concepts. You can even have a plan. But if you don't figure out how to get it happening in your own community, in your state, in your country, then it it cannot take hold and it cannot have legs. So it can't, it needs to be put into action. This is why I can't be a part of the science side because I, all the inventions and all the findings in the world, it's information. And sadly, the politics of the world rule the world. The litigation does. Who's suing who? Who is making so much money? They have so much money to sue someone. Uh, These farmers here in Colorado struggle. And I'm sure back in Iowa, I grew up on a farm half my, you know, from five years old. Um, The monetary bullying that happens is unbelievable. And these companies have so much darn money that they can fight and put a farmer out of business if they say the wrong thing, if they don't buy their seeds, if they don't um, do as told, if they don't buy the new machinery, they'll become obsolete because they need to farm bigger plots faster to stay within a profit zone. You know, it's like, um, I think there are a lot of incredible inventions. However, I think they just need to put be put into place. And um, like uh, places here in Colorado outlawed having a lawn. And it has to be a wild prairie or it has to be, um, I think, like mulch or rock or something. Uh, because they don't want people wasting water to water them. And they don't want chemicals. So a lot of people don't want to let that go people love to mow their lawns with the beer get on their riding lawnmower and do whatever i have great friends that do that and they love it it's relaxing but is it really what's best for the environment i mean i drive a truck my emissions aren't great my gas tank you know um it's really hard to there are things that are not uncomfortable to make changes and there are some changes that need to be made that are uncomfortable. And when it comes to the fact that it's for nature and for our future generation's well-being, it's really hard to make those changes and do those things when we feel like we're sacrificing or giving things up. And I think that the mental shift that needs to happen is just the fact that like, I need to do this now and today so that this child I know that's standing next to me literally has clean air. Like, could could I conceive of taking water away from this child if they were thirsty? Could I actually see myself taking away their clean air? And I just, you have to think with, with that in mind. Um, not that you're losing something, but that you're doing something that makes these spaces healthier. Um, It's hard. I think that when we think of other people in mind and be of service, 
that if we have in our minds the concept of to give versus to take, um, where does our mind go first? You know, do we want to give or do we do we do we not think of the other person involved? So when we think of nature as its own entity, it definitely is a mind shift. So as we're wrapping up here, what's as someone listens to this, what's one one thing you hope they take away um, as they listen to this? Um, I think something that is something to think about is just where and how do you draw your life satisfaction, your fulfillment? What do you do that makes you feel good when you leave? And does not take away from anything or anyone else. And how do we spend our time? How do we spend our money? It matters. And who who is making the decisions? And what are these places doing with the money they get from us? Um, are we feeding people near us? Local places near us? Are we feeding, you know, everyone needs to eat. But at the same time, what are they doing with the money when they get it? And what can we do to protect the people we love that are younger than us? Um, doing good for future generations. There's something that I heard, and I can't even remember who said it, and I feel horrible I can't, but plant trees for where the shade, how does that go? Plant trees whose shade we will not get to be under. Yeah. And so essentially your actions are going to impact people and future generations. Um, it's just a selfless act. And I think if we all kind of did a little bit more of that and a little bit more of civic engagement and, and intentionally found ways to participate in the community around us, not just the fun, you know, I love a good 5k. I love a fun time, but where does the money go from the 5k? Is it to clean up water resources? Is it to protect water resources around us um, and around the globe? So I think maybe just stepping outside of our own immediate needs is something that would help everyone on the earth. Well said. Well said. Jackie, thank you so much for taking time again to uh, speak with me. It's always fun talking with you. Yes. Well, it's been great. It's neat to hear someone from back in Iowa. <laughs> um, so how can folks kind of follow you in your journey um, work on social media? Because you're, like I said, you're. It, I love your Instagram because it always, it seems daily you have some... I want to say words of wisdom, but just kind of some nuggets out there, like uh, they kind of think about, and, or it's a sunrise, something like that, or out in nature, and it kind of like, in a kind of weird way, kind of grounds you a little bit, and kind of like, okay, so how can folks kind of follow you around? Yeah, so I just have my website, which is jacquelinefetter.com, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E, and then Fetter, F. E T T E R.com. And that also has links to my Instagram. Instagram is great 
staying connected to other people is staying connected to me and being in nature is being connected to me. So, you know, when you're out there and you're hiking or doing something, just have good people on your mind, you know? Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jackie. And um, I reserve the right to come out and do some hiking with you. Yes, I I know some trails. But I will not get on a motorbike with you. I have, I will not do yeah. that. I, tr- I tried that one time and I, I was the most scared I've ever been. So I don't know if I will do that again. Oh, man. It is. Uh, it's great. You know, it's like. I'm using that as my commuter now to work and school. So in reality, it is greatly saving on gas. I live a little bit north of Fort Collins, so um, still called Fort Collins, but um, it's great. You know, just put that in your head. Do do it for the environment. Ride a motorcycle for the environment. Sounds good. Jackie, thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll speak to you soon.